This is a Zoom recorded podcast with Lucas Walker, a social distancing e-commerce professional from Gorgeous, the number one help desk for e-commerce. Every brand in general should have some kind of, you know, customer experience toolkit, but in a crisis like the kind that's going on right now, what should a CX game plan for an e-com brand look like? So really what it comes down to for brands having some sort of plan with their customer service is being able to adapt quickly. We're just in such foreign times right now that the stuff that we were doing over even Black Friday, Cyber Monday, to use an e-commerce example, when we see a big spike in traffic and orders come through, that playbook doesn't necessarily exist anymore because then we were selling out because of deals and people are just in a shopping mindset. Now we're selling out because people are self-isolating in their home. So the, even the products are totally different. Um, and I think it really comes down to just being able to be flexible and adapt. And maybe it's something that doesn't sound like a really customer-centric policy, such as having a limit per customer or having uh, not free shipping. Things like that can be really how brands adapt right now. For example, if you're selling, take a look at Uline, for example. So a B2B um, e-commerce company, but they sell a lot of things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer hand sanitizer. So people were going on their stock piling up and it was taking away from from people who needed those supplies. So I think in a case of a business like that, having a limit or a great example is what the CEO of Sourceify is doing is they're only providing masks and other uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, for uh, hospitals or workers, frontline workers who really need it. So I think that in these unprecedented times, it's really adapting to the situation. At the same time, it's also really over-communicating with your customers what's happening. Um, supply chains are are all over the place. So if you normally offer uh, same-day same shipping or next-day shipping, then maybe explain to your customers it take, it's taking a little bit longer to process orders because you're implementing good uh, social distancing practices within your facility. So maybe you don't have as many staff or you're working in different shifts, but also the shipping to the last mile uh, will be a little bit different. And even how you can get those products from your suppliers will all be different, whether it's uh, domestic or or from overseas. I mean, if you were sourcing a product that's made in Italy, maybe some shoes or a bidet, for example, you're probably going to have different inventory shortages. So I think it's just being really transparent with your customers about the changes that are happening, but also just how so many differences really are happening right now that we're not used to. So I think a lot of that game plan is being able to adapt and prepare quickly, maybe not necessarily having a meeting in a week to discuss things and then roll out a plan there because, I mean, think about how much has changed just within New York City in the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, it was stay home, try to self-isolate, and now they have the U.S. 
uh, the USNS Comfort, which is the, the floating hospital coming to New York City. So everything is changing so rapidly. I think that you need to be able to adapt quickly and really over communicate with your customers. Now, a lot of brands, or you see a lot of memes and people on Twitter complaining, oh, I don't care about that brand that I haven't heard from in three years, giving me a COVID-19 update. But it's almost like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer doesn't want to wear the AIDS, rib- the AIDS ribbon or one of the characters doesn't want to wear the ribbon to support the cause, but you just, you kind of do it because it's the right thing to do. So it is important to have that, that messaging out there, even if it's not necessarily for everyone, it shows that as a brand and your customers and that you're also responding to the situation. So I think that another thing to note is don't necessarily uh, listen to the naysayers of saying that brands don't need to be sending out all these COVID-19 emails and measures. I think that it is important because it's very easy for someone to just skip a message they don't care about, but it's far more important for you to be getting those notifications out of how things are changing. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that. It to cycle back to a point that I continue to make with other people that I've talked about this with is that even if you or a variety of other people are not, you know, loyal to a particular brand that you're hearing a message from, there's still going to be a ton of people who are the target and want to hear from that brand. So you should still contribute to that conversation because you want to make sure you're not you're not number one, you're not neglecting those who really care about your brand and your message. And two, you don't want to come off as, you know, closed or disingenuous by not saying anything at all. Because even if you even if you're annoyed at the fact that, oh, all these brands are saying the same thing, I think it would be worse if a brand said nothing at all. I agree. I mean, imagine Macy's just not addressing it at all. Like, they have to. Stores are closed. If you haven't shopped at Macy's in 10 years and you say, oh, I don't care, isn't it obvious that they're just shutting their stores? Well, no, there's a lot of logistics that go into that. What's happening with employees? Um, what if you have an order? And I think that that gets into sort of the next point that we were planning on chatting about, which is treating every customer like a VIP customer in these in these times right now. So let's really break it down here a little bit. I think that there are a few things here. One is whatever your arbitrary policy was, now is not the time to enforce it. Like if somebody wants to return something and they purchased 32 days ago because they lost their job, really, and, and I say this with the caveat of I'm assuming that your business is in the position to do this. I know a lot of businesses uh, who are probably listening have been impacted. So it's, I don't want to be that tone deaf. I would just say, well, yeah, just keep refunding money. It's money. You'll make it back. It's more important to have that customer for life. Obviously not. But let's say somebody buys a, or, you know, let's, let's use Peloton because I know that they've sold a ton of bikes. So maybe someone, if they have a 30 day guarantee, if it's day 33 and somebody wants to return their Peloton bike, maybe make an exception for them because who knows what they're going through. Maybe they just lost their job or they were uh, didn't get the government grant that they thought. So I think that really extending policies and just using common sense, now's the time to do that and really empathize with your customers. Now, again, you do have that data. So if it's somebody who's been a habitual policy abuser, well, maybe maybe you do want to enforce that policy to help keep your cash flow tight right now because of that. It is a, a time of who knows what cash flow will look like over the next three or six months. Um, to your point of just giving in a few extra perks, 
I think that offering free shipping is a great, great idea right now, just under the caveat of saying, hey, we've got free basic shipping. It should be there in about a week, but everything's up in the air right now. So just doing things like that. If you are seeing a dip in sales, it can be a good way to turn over some inventory as well. Um, like you said, with a restaurant, it's we ordered a pizza a little while ago and they gave us a free pound of wings. And that was probably because they weren't selling that many wings, so they didn't want the food to spoil. So if you do have any inventory like that that you were forecasting, you would sell maybe... Um, I mean, no, nobody selling yeast is having this issue right now, but let's say you were baking, you sold rolling pins and other baking uh, utensils, and you also having to sell some baking supplies, throw in a free thing of yeast if it's not selling, because it's not going to do you any good, and your customer will probably appreciate that more. It really goes back to over-communicating is let your customers know if you are doing something. So, for example, uh, if you're donating... Uh, if you have a day where every unit you sell, you donate a unit to uh, frontline workers or nurses, let them know that you're doing that as well. And just say, hey, thanks so much. Because of your purchase, we were able to donate uh, an additional, like let's say you're selling bathing suits or something. Because of your purchase of the bathing suit, we're donating a, uh, a pair of swimming trunks to uh, New York City nurses or whatever that group is, really over-communicate there as well. But I think that it also comes down to just really being available. And one trend that we've seen at Gorgeous is that even in stores where revenue is down, the ticket volume and the number of tickets coming in is staying the same. So customers still want to be heard, even if they're not necessarily making that purchase right now. Um, so I know home fitness equipment is an industry that's doing really well and running out of stock a lot. So now that's all that's left is maybe your premium uh, your premium thing. So I don't know. Uh, I think we've had this conversation, but you're not as much of a cyclist, are you, David? Uh, no, but I, I under, I'm, I'm the demographic for it. Okay. So you're familiar with the smart trainer that you can use inside and then you kind of cycle with your friends and stuff through some of the apps like Zwift or Trainer Road. So there's a huge backlog on those right now in North America, which means it's usually only the premium high-end ones that are available. So if people are buying something that's a little, little bit more premium than necessarily what they're used to, they probably have more questions than somebody who buys that type of item all the time, comes in, knows what they want. They want the top-of-the-line model. Here you go. Uh, so just really, again, going back and empathizing with your customers as they have more questions and as they shop especially if they're used to being able to shop in store. So going back to what we were saying earlier about if Macy's is closed and that notification, well, what does that mean if you have a large retail footprint, but then customers are trying to return things online that they bought in store and you can't normally do that. So how do you adapt to still offer that same experience that your customers are are used to through uh, various digital digital means. Yeah, and overall it breaks down to you have to be more lenient with your policies and understanding. Um, you can't do it mm -hmm. at the sacrifice of your own business to an extent. And overall, you just have to be really genuine about it. I know things like empathy and being genuine and real are thrown around a lot. And sure, they definitely are buzzwords, especially if a brand is using them incorrectly. But that whole understanding real customer interaction, you know, if a return policy is 30 days and they contact you after 31 days right now, I think brands can let that slide, especially when, you know, people's 
livelihood and you know our day-to-day lives are changing so much you know it, our routines are really being flipped up on side of the you know and the brands themselves are being affected by that too it's kind of like a duality thing except the difference is that the brand has to care about the customer the customer isn't expected or responsible to care about the brand the most the brand can do is communicate where those problem areas are and just say hey well we can't offer this excellent service in the exact way that you're used to you know to make up for that trade-off here's another thing we can do to still keep that same level of positive brand attribution it is as much as we rag on policies like a 30-day return policy maybe you have to create a new one if somebody bought something in store and they can't go back to exchange it, well, how do you do that if you didn't have an online exchange program before? You just got one in the last week. Uh, but also, a lot of businesses are adapting to things like curbside pickup that they never would have offered before because they have a showroom or they have something. So I think that there are a lot of ways to to do that. And I mean, even taking a look at the online offline experience take a look at the way that a store like costco does social distancing where they've taped out on the floor what six feet looks like when you go through the checkout and they hand you a lysol wipe for your cart versus uh, just coming on the pa every system every 30 minutes attention folks uh please practice social distancing staying six feet away from one another at all times which one do you think people are just going to respect more and take more seriously well i think that's a little bit more comforting for for consumers yeah, true. And it is kind of not being tone deaf and, you know, taking that tone of voice that's a little bit more understanding. I mean, with like Trader Joe's has been like that, too, where, you know, with their guidelines, I'm sure a ton of other grocery stores are doing this, too, is they're limiting the number of people that can be in the store and they're allowing people to line up outside. I say allowing people as if people have the honor of lining up for Trader Joe's, but I mean more they have to they have to line up outside. Um, you know, to go in. (laughs) What lottery that would be. Guys, guys, I'm in. I get to line up at Trader Joe's. They won't let me in, but I get to stand in the Trader Joe's line. I get the opportunity of potentially giving them my money in exchange for my wasted time. Yeah, some some, not even a a gooder service. You just get to go stand in the line. Right. And the thing about that is traditionally what Trader Joe's would do in this situation is, uh, you know, I'm sure they would normally give out free snacks or they'd give out coffee to people waiting. But the thing about that is you can't do that because it goes against the, you know, the social distance, social distancing policy. And it wouldn't come. Well, it's not to come in contact and spread the virus. So they can't do that. But what they are doing is they are lowering prices across stores. They're creating these special like at home product combinations of their own brands as like a work from home kit, I guess you could say for groceries. And I think that makes up for the fact that they can't do anything about the people waiting online like they normally could. But at least once people are in the store, because there are less people, they take all the right, you know, policies. Now people are wearing like gloves and face masks. They're making people feel you know, reassured that, hey, we're respecting, you know, your right to shop here and the fact that you've been spending a lot of time in here. And, you know, even though the coffee bar is closed, and even though the demo station where you can get free food is closed, we are, you know, 
creating promotions and deals for things that people really want and buy often that traditionally we would never do in a normal circumstance because this isn't a normal circumstance. No, it's not. Like nothing's off the table right now. And it could be going back to Trader Joe's. Maybe they give everyone just a free pound of coffee. Like you either get a free box of tea bags or a pound of coffee. Just thanks for coming and supporting it. You need, you need this right now more than we do. And it's, I think that that'll be really what people remember coming out of this is what brands were really strict about it and what brands really helped others out. There's a, a grocery chain here. It's a, a premium grocery store and they were charging $29.99 for Lysol wipes and just everyone ripped into them. And they said, oh no, it was a mistake. <laughs> you don't accidentally put something up like that at your at the checkout and stuff. And the premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, Rob Ford's brother, I'm sure a lot of the listeners down in the States remember the crack smoking mayor, Rob <laughs> Ford. They're kind of like diet Trump. And I have to say, when he was going after businesses that are price gouging, it felt pretty good. But people remember what companies like Trader Joe's do that really help their customers out versus the ones that they gouge. Yeah. And I think some customers and consumers, not all, because ultimately a lot of consumers will understandably just care about how a brand is valuable to them. But there is definitely a subset mm -hmm. of people who care greatly about how these companies are treating their essential employees who don't have the luxury to work from home. I mean, look what Starbucks is doing where it's paying its workers and baristas to, you know, who still don't want to work in the store, but they're paying those employees who do choose to stay and choose to work. Um, a little bit extra per hour. I don't think it's a lot. Like, I think it's only $3 per hour, which some people have argued is not enough for the risk they are taking. But I think just the fact that Starbucks is doing something and that they are even paying their employees who aren't working, who are, you know, doing the proper thing and staying home, I think that speaks volumes about, it speaks volumes about what, what, uh, what Starbucks wants to be perceived as. As someone who can, tends to take a skeptic stance on company altruism, I, yeah. I, part of me believes that it's tactical and of course a lot of this stuff will be tactical i don't think it matters how genuine or tactical something is if it's still adding value to the customer to their own employees and ultimately that's what people are going to remember because no one does something without a reason one way or another but I think people are going to remember how a company treats their employees uh, if they treat them well versus some brands. Uh, I can't name any at the top of my head, but I'm, I'm sure you probably could where they're not doing anything about uh, their employees' health or safety or they're saying they are. And they're not. Actually, I think Amazon might be a, a good example of that, because I think I read yesterday that in Long Island or Staten Island, Amazon workers who worked at the warehouses uh, went on strike for the amount of pay that they're receiving and little safety precautions that they're getting. And I think Amazon just fired all of them because they have tons of workers who they could replace them with. Exactly. And let's put on our skeptic hats and remove all morality out of the question right now. So this isn't a conversation for morals, but Starbucks, great example, publicly traded company, a lot of uh, restaurant workers, bartenders, people who could do um, a barista job or work at Starbucks are out of work right now. They don't need to pay their workers more. They could easily say, if you don't like it, you should be thankful for a job. We've got 10 people who can come in and take your job uh, that are willing to do it right now. And I'm sure 
30, 40, 100 years ago, that's how business would have been done. But they're choosing to voluntarily pay their employees more. They don't have to. They could easily take that money for PR and greenwash it and just donate it to nurses and give a bunch of uh, PPE or personal protective equipment. But they're not. Converse that with the, the warehouse company that you mentioned that's say firing all of their employees who want more health and safety uh, and everything else because they know that there's a lineup of workers who would be happy for that job. Yeah, and, and then that warehouse company also knows that regardless of what kind of PR they get, it's not going to change people's minds for better or worse. No, people want that next day shipping. They want it. They, they don't care. People claim that they do. When push comes to shove at the end of the day, the lowest price usually gets the dollar. And that's unfortunately what a lot of trends are happening right now is even people who normally eat really healthy are buying white rice and chips because they last in the pantry, whereas kale or and avocados don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm still doing my best to stick on keto while uh, going through this thing. And so far, it hasn't been too difficult to do that. But I definitely say the temptation is there because part of my mind thinks, well, you know, if need be, I have all this. I have We have so much pasta that no one in my house is eating because we just have it stockpiled just from the past and it's still yep. good, uh, but we don't really eat it much. And, you know, I'm wondering if there's going to be a point where it's like, well, if grocery stores actually close and getting food does become really difficult, I don't expect us to reach that point, nor is this super topical with this main conversation. But I think it might be a point where, you know, the lifestyle or the lifestyle I'm trying to continue will be shifted because I'm, I'm aware oh, yeah. that we're not... You know, there is no normal anymore. And I think that does shift into the next thing we really wanted. I really wanted to bring up, which is before we move on, um, it could very easily be each household gets one ticket to go to their grocery store per week. And if you don't have your ticket, you don't get let in. And you know what? Uh, you you got to make it two more days until you can go get groceries. You're just going to eat pasta that you have stockpiled. You'll you'll find a way to make you for those next couple days. Ultimately, a total, complete lockdown or shutdown isn't feasible when people have basic needs. I mean, I know there's been that trending meme where this whole virus is really a giant agenda by Big Bidet with the whole toilet paper shortage. Yep. But in all seriousness, the longer this... Yeah, yeah I don't care. Like, I was joking about an Italian-made bidet earlier, but I've got a couple just sitting right back there. You have a couple of Italian bidets on you. I ordered two, yeah, one for now, one for later. <laughs> they're not disposable, aren't right? Like they're permanent fixtures. Well, maybe I have a friend that runs out of TP, and I can be the hero. It's also a friend's company that I've been meaning to order from for for a little while, but I definitely did order. Or two are you tend are are or are you attempting to resell it at a higher price once people get on the bidet hype and there's a shortage of those, and then you can resell them for tenfold the the profit. Oh, man. See, everyone says price gouging is bad until the opportunity to make 10x what you paid for something is on the table. Like, it, it's just one bidet. It's not like I had $100,000 worth of hand sanitizer. Who's going to give me 400 bucks for this thing? How could I say no? No, it's they're, they're for personal use only. I will say that that's the whole thing about, um, like, resellers and drop shippers. I will say before we shift completely into the next thing I want to talk about, which is how, you know, COVID-19 is essentially going to change customer experience and in and maybe out of e-commerce forever. Uh, in general, I feel like for e-commerce brands, even though product supply chain is going to focus more on kind of rebuilding that competency, maybe as uh, 
John has mentioned, which I highly agree with him, that, you know, more more supply chains are going to be domestic versus relying so much on overseas operations or at the very least diversifying those supply chains. I think we'll see a lot less like new dropship brands popping up like the seven, like the, you know, the the stereotypical 17 to 25 year old kid who drop ships products that they find from Alibaba and sets up a store just with cheap goods. And all they really have is a Shopify storefront with, you know, products. And maybe they run some, you know, paid paid ads on like Facebook and Instagram that drive traffic to it. But I think because those supply chains and that access to that cheap, those cheap goods are being restricted, especially right now, I feel like you'll see more new brands and actual like, you know, actual brands that pop up versus just simply, uh, you know, digital storefronts that a lot of these drop shipping companies and individuals are. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, we could definitely, I mean, maybe we're going to see drop shipping 2.0 launch where, for example, I saw someone who's opening up a store for everyone who wants to make bread at home because this person has a lot of contacts in the food industry. He went to all the bakery uh, distributors that typically supply flour and yeast for rest- restaurants that are sitting on ingredients that don't have the supply chain for grocery stores and then can sell it to consumers. So it's almost like that digital storefront is really the conduit between consumers and these legacy systems. But again, that's domestic supply chain. True. And I think more thought will have to be put into it versus the the kind I'm more specifically talking about is where a guy's like, okay, what's really cheap and what you know can I be perceived to sell and you go on alibaba and you buy the the dog wash glove for you know something like that you can get them for 10 cents a piece and you can resell them for five or even ten dollars and you know you can make an easy roi off that you don't have to put any work into it i feel like more work will have to be put into these brands or drop shipping brands maybe it'll return to a more stable point at some point but i feel like for the foreseeable future, like a year, even two years, uh, there's going to be more newer brands that have to be, that have to put thought into their business model and their, you know, the less sexy aspect of e-commerce, which is that whole supply chain management and inventory, you know, management. Oh yeah, absolutely. But shifting into that last point. So in your thoughts, how do you think customer experience in e-commerce and potentially beyond is going to change forever because of COVID-19. Yeah, I think that, uh, and I'm so excited because I get to drop a Joe Exotic (laughs) reference here, but I think that really that brand perception will have a big impact on the overall customer experience. If people remember you price gouging now, or if they remember you paying your employees well, I think that'll go for a long time of overall brand satisfaction and really how you clearly communicate everything. And the Joe Exotic references, in a lot of the ways, he was ahead of his time by helping shape that narrative of this is how much he cares for the animals and everything with his online TV show and his documentary. And you go through his YouTube channel and it's the stuff that a lot of content marketers are preaching he actually was doing. And I'm sure that the same way somebody who watches a bunch of his videos then goes to his crazy roadside zoo says, oh, no, the GW Zoo is a great experience. It's good, wholesome, family fun. Look how transparent he is. When you do that, but you're not a methed out backyard tiger breeder, that can 
having uh, like Apple donating 10 million masks or uh, Starbucks paying their employees more or Trader Joe's really not putting their your employees' lives at risk, that'll have a big impact on how your brand is remembered and really how you can uh, handle a lot of those customer service situations. If you've had a good experience with a brand, you're just you're willing to be a little bit more forgiving. Whereas if it's your first time with a brand, you feel like you've been nickel and dimed, you're not going to be uh, as forgiving. And even things like leaving a positive review, getting a referral, a lot of those long tail benefits of having good customer experiences will play out based on how brands handle these super uncertain times right now. Sure. And do you think more brands, especially mid to smaller ones, are going to be more well aware of this concept of customer experience because of this situation? Um, oh, that's a good question. I feel like the smaller brands already are. So Patrick from Supply Razors does a great job of really uh, being on the front lines and understanding what, what his customers are saying and going through. I think that another thing that, or another um, outcome of all of this could be that as, you know, cutbacks happen and you have more executives, more leaders doing frontline work, I think that they could be a lot more empathetic with the overall experience. So before where something was done for reporting or process, now maybe it's done for, uh, because they, they just can empathize with the customer more. So I think that that could be a long tail outcome. That's sort of my my wild card pick. But I think for a lot of smaller and mid-sized brands, just being closer. Oh, there's the sirens. Um, somebody must not be social distancing. <laughs> They're coming for you. Um, but I think that from that perspective of what that will really teach us about the importance of customer experience, I almost think that a lot of those lessons could be on the customer side as well to just be more patient and realize that not everything has that instant gratification. Like when was the last time in our lifetime that we would go to the grocery store and they'd be out of meat or toilet paper or baking supplies? Even though we know how supply chains work, we just kind of figured that, well, they had an unlimited unlimited supply of everything. And we're realizing now that, no, there are finite numbers. And I think that customers are being a lot are learning to be a lot more patient. And I think that brands, um, I think that brands can also be more patient in that sense of just understanding what their customers are going through and empathizing. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen on Facebook or Instagram relatives that we don't really know that well, that all of a sudden we realize that they're a nurse or a, or a doctor or a frontline worker just really putting their lives at stake day in and day out doing what six months ago we thought was just a job. That's true. I think that's a funny point that you bring up about consumers themselves being more empathetic towards brands because of this, which is a funny, I guess, a funny spin on what a lot of people have been talking around. Well, brands and and frontline workers. I bet the average person calling in to talk to customer service representative right now is just more patient. They kind of have to be. I think they have to realize that, you know, hey, a lot of jobs are being affected by this. Um, And they must come to it with the perspective that, hey, this brand is probably receiving double or triple, maybe even quadruple the amount of customer service inquiries and calls and, you know, chat messages from people. Yeah. And I mean, look at the Trader Joe's example. If six months ago, the look, it's there was a lineup to get into Trader Joe's be thinking, I'm not waiting in that line. Are you out of your mind? And if you went with someone, you'd be complaining the whole time. I mean, at least I would to wait in line to go to a grocery store. Whereas now everyone's just very calm and collective and doing it. 
Yeah, that whole sense of doing, you know, giving back again, being an optimist about it, giving back in a way that's meaningful to and aligns with the brand's own message and mission. Because ultimately what you have to do, any promotion that you run, any good or like charity or initiative that you donate to or collaborate with, it has to ultimately align with your brand's mission and the product category that you happen to be in because people can tell when something is disingenuous that way you know it's more apparent if it comes across as tone deaf um i will use this example probably once more in my entire life and probably never again in that if you received a email from phantom fireworks saying hey because of covid19 enjoy 20 percent off select fireworks that doesn't make a bit of sense. Um, no, I don't know if you have Phantom Fireworks in Canada, no. but they're they're popular in the U.S., especially the East Coast. We have several fireworks. I think the big one here is Ka- Kaboom Fireworks. Yeah, we they have an explanation. They have an explanation point in the middle of their name, so I always like to pronounce it correctly. Kaboom Fireworks. For us, it's just Phantom. But there's but the, to that point, there's no there's no alignment with that. There is no context behind. Why would a person who, why would, why would I use the promo code hashtag stay at home to buy fireworks? How is fireworks helping my new lifestyle adjustment of working from home? Obviously that's a ridiculous example and hopefully no brand actually does it. Oh, but let's spin it. Let, we're, we're both marketers at the end of the day. Let's spin it. So how could a firework company tie in a COVID-19 promotion instead of saying here's 19% off fireworks with hash with promo with discount code COVID organize. Hey, you know what? We're all at home right now uh, at dusk at 9 PM uh, on this day of the month. We're going to all do our own fireworks display to show appreciation for all the frontline workers that are working. Let's give them a little show. So at least for a few minutes, they have something to take their mind off of it. That, yeah. that oh, ties yeah. in. I, stupid i think it's lame and taking advantage of the situation but at least there there's some connection to why you're reaching out to people or hey we're not up at the cottage this year so i don't know uh in in new york but the may long weekend up here in canada today is sort of the unofficial start to summer a lot of fireworks go off but you're not going up with a bunch of friends to a cottage and having 20 people sleeping all over the place. So you say, instead of this to promote social distancing, don't go to the cottage. You know, we've worked with the city of New York, the city of Toronto. We're going to organize a big fireworks display, which just saying that out loud, I can think of so many things that would go wrong with it. It's an absolutely terrible idea, but it ties into not being totally tone deaf of, Hey, here's a COVID promo. On yeah, fireworks. A lot of people, a lot of businesses think marketing is the first thing to go or is the most expendable in a time of crisis when people have to be cutting things but what you just said is the perfect example of why no matter what or when happens you need the message to match this to match the offer in order for people to engage with it branding doesn't stop just because the world's on fire it's sort of necessary to engage with engage and potentially dows out the people who are struggling right now yeah yeah no absolutely i think you just gave, um, a, on that just gave note, a ton of free advice to many fireworks companies. i think i think kaboom and phantom right now are hard at work seeing who can adapt that uh who can adapt that promotion first they are you know what they're probably going to merge and go international now the international day of firework appreciation 
Phantom Kaboom or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ka-Phantom. I've heard worse names. Yeah, no, exactly. Awesome. Wow, that hour went fast. Yeah. For for three questions. Pretty I, nicely. Well, that's, that's the thing I like about this, is that you have these talking points, and even though it, they're, it's only three points, they always branch into something bigger. It's not just, oh, it's not yes or no questions, and it's never intended to answer the question just on its own way, and then and then just move on. The idea is to have the conversation 